You're listening to episode four. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So Get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. My name is Davis Mutawa here, your host. I am super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Mr. Rex Hartley. Rex, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Looking forward to it, Davis. Yes, very much so. Fantastic. Appreciate your time. Rex is the founder and owner of Webtrim, a software development business based here in Melbourne. He's an ex-chartered accountant who transitioned out of the corporate world into running his own business. Um, Rex, before we jump into business, perhaps take 30 seconds to tell us who is Rex Hartley, a little bit about your non-business personal background. I've just had my 60th birthday and so I've had many years in business and all sorts of businesses. Uh, I currently belong to Catch the Fire Church, which is associated with Catch the Fire out of Toronto. Uh, and we've, with that, travel around, visit many churches, and, uh, and that takes up a fair bit of my non-business time these days. I have a wife with two boys who are in their 20s, the eldest is now married and blessed us with a beautiful grandson who's just had his first birthday. So that's a pretty exciting time for that, and it's certainly more rewarding than I ever imagined it would be. <laughs> that's great. Um, now, switching into business, Rex, how long have you been in full-time business for yourself? The current business of Webtrim I've been in for about 18 years, coming on 18 years. Before that had a variety of things. I was in my own business for a couple of years back in the early 90s as well. I started off as chartered accounting for about eight years. Then, not my own business, but I then went into a family business with my father. So it's a bit like running your own business, but I was still fairly green in those days. Uh, but it was, a, it was a very good learning ground. Uh, I then went into business by myself for a year or so, and then I was on contract work for a number of years before starting the current business. Right. So you took a little bit of um, a run through, you know, from working for a big, big chartered accounting firm, then with your family, um, then for yourself and then contracting work. So was that your journey into becoming an entrepreneur? Was that deliberate or how did that all happen, you know, exiting corporate for you? Well, I think to a certain extent it must have been in my blood. Um, now, I went into chartered accounting and um, 
Yep, I, that was, as far as I was concerned, it was quite successful. But I also looked at, you know, looked ahead and you look at the partners in these large accounting firms and I looked at one or two in particular and I said, do I want a life like that? And that was, that answer is basically no. From that point, there was restlessness in me. And I, you know, my father came to a point in his career that he said, no, why don't you leave and come with me? And nothing else had presented itself. And that, I made, I made that jump at that point in time. But I also look back to, my father, my grandfather, great-grandparents, and right through my family. And ever since the earliest family came out to Australia in the mid-1800s, they've all been involved in business and running businesses. So, as I said, I'm sure it must be in the blood to some extent. Yeah, it's just my father was in his business. I, I knew my grandfather. Both grandparents were sort of very much in their own businesses, so it was a natural thing to look for and, and to feel. But it, it is—it's—it's it's not just something. It wasn't a head decision. I think when I decided that I needed to move on from where I was with the chartered accounting firm, it was natural for me to certainly at least consider being in business by myself. It was a natural thing to start to look towards. Mm. What business was your, your father in, Rex? He was in, well, very loosely, I'd call it domestic textiles. So domestic textiles being fabrics that are used in the home, anything from curtains to cushions to bed linen and toweling and those sort of products. And, and you know, while we weren't manufacturers, back going back into the, you know, this is looking at sort of 1950s, 60s and 70s. It was a changing world and it was a lot of it was imported from Asia, originally importing from Europe and then Asia, but your manufacturing base was, a lot of it was done from overseas. Right, okay, so um, interesting industry. Now, t- take us to, to your current business. Um, tell us about that. And uh, I know just at this point you, you currently work from home as well, which is a kind of a lifestyle choice for you. That's why we can sort of hear um, your little dog in the background making making noises, right? <laughs> Web trim is my current business. Started that in 1998. And again, that wasn't a decision of, of a business that I was actually looking for. It was more of a business that came in front of me at a time when I was actually looking for something. It was actually an ex-employee working for me that I was advising and he came across the opportunity and came back to me for guidance and uh, I really brought him through a previous business, uh, employing him, uh, asking him where he wanted to go, him going on to do further studies, becoming qualified in IT. So he'd always, um, I'd always mentored him in his development and he came to me with the, with this business proposal. I worked with him for many, many hours and we said, yes, look, a great opportunity. So he was about to start that and it just happened that I finished a, an assignment I was on as a uh, contractor out working for a large um, top 10 company and uh, he said, well, 
Now, why don't you just come and give me a hand for a few months and and get it, get it up and going? Well, a few months is I'm still there. <laughs> so, as I said, it wasn't really intended to go into it as a full time business, but it, it certainly eventuated that way. I worked with him for uh, probably three to four years before we uh, had a differing point of view, I guess, and we opted to separate, to split the business up a bit, and he, he took one, one avenue of it, and I took another, and we both moved on. Right. Okay. So what, what would be the key revenue streams for um, WebTrim at the moment, Rex? Well, WebTrim, we develop software which is aimed at improving the business, car repair businesses or panel beaters, and those businesses pay for our software primarily via a subscription basis, so we gain monthly incomes from them running our software. We might do a little bit of other activity, but um, that's our key revenue stream, and that's what we uh, work to build up. Right. That's, a, that's very interesting. So you're, you're a chartered accountant, a true and true chartered accountant with a big four chartered accounting background. Um, but you're now running a um, you know software development business. How, how do you find yourself doing that? Um, are you an expert now, or do you hire experts? Or how did that transition work for you? I certainly wouldn't call myself an expert in IT. My expertise was really more around um, understanding processes and systems. But coming into this field, I engaged the experts, or one or two experts, as, as required. But understanding really what was really needed while working with uh, Deloitte & Co. With that firm, I was involved with their uh, computer consultancy division as it started, um, initially with computer audit and then into computer consulting. So there's been a little bit of a, you know, a bent towards the IT right from about those early days, uh, an interest in it. And I think that's the key part of it. Because you've got an interest in something, ultimately that's the best thing to follow. If you really feel that that's the way, somewhere, a direction you need to go, ultimately that's where I've ended up falling. Probably a little bit of um, godly guidance there, but no, you're really following your passion just can't be beaten. You've got to be passionate about what you do. That's a very interesting point to bring up early on in this conversation. And that's something that I really love to teach about as well is finding that thing that we can be excited about waking up in the morning. And insofar as it can be quite removed from your original qualification, um, sometimes that can be a hindrance for us to get into our passion play because we feel like we're not uh, experienced in that. But I guess what my takeaway from this conversation is that you followed something that you had an interest in, you pursued it, an opportunity came up, and you've been doing that for, for over close to two decades. Um, so um, I guess that's my, my takeaway. So... Um, that's uh, I appreciate that. I wanted to find out from you, Rex, how did you go about acquiring that first panel beating shop, I guess, um, right in that beginning phase? Well, I suppose I was, that was part of the fortune of the way things started for us is that um, a customer existed which needed a service and he found uh, some software from the United Kingdom that he wanted to use and sort of abbreviating the story behind it all but basically that resulted in um, the need for someone in Australia to service it and no one in Australia, the number of IT companies were contacted no one really wanted to touch it because they considered uh, 
yet too specialised and not worthy of, of following through. And to some extent, that presented the opportunity that we grasped. By grasping that, we had our first customer, we had a, a, a small revenue stream, not sufficient to survive, but it was a start that we could then build on. So to me, the, the thing was then, okay, if we're going to be successful, it's sort of like you could say it's the second customer that really came along that was going to make the difference. And for that to happen, uh, we had to work with the firm in the UK to buy the program and develop the program into something that would be suitable for Australia. And that took us about 12 months of um, work. So we, yeah, we didn't have a lot of income, we had, but we at least did have a trickle. That trickle uh, at least paid the rent and paid about a quarter of a salary um, between two of us. So again, we, we had the vision, we had the determination, and we managed to go through that and then to win two or three customers, which we then did after about 12 months. Again, the reason we got those customers was largely because, first of all, our determination, but also to work through with looking for business partners, looking for people with the right contacts. We didn't have the money. We just, no, there was no point promoting and heavily advertising. It's, it's such a small niche industry. And what we were doing was very different. And consequently, we couldn't go out and sell the product. People didn't want the product. We had to demonstrate to them that there was a real need for it. So first of all, we created the need. Then we had to sell the product. And, and you look back at it now, and really, we were probably five years ahead of our time in terms of the market needing our product. And that took a while before... There was a, quite a change, probably five years after we got going, before we found that people started coming to us rather than us having to constantly go to them. Right. So that's very interesting. Now, a couple of points that I wanted to jump onto. Number one, you said you had to modify a UK-based software and work with that group. So uh, walk us through just high level. Did you have to get the rights off of that team and, and how did that process go for somebody who might be in a similar situation today? How do they approach that conversation? Yes, well, we were licensing the product um, at that point and well, I suppose that's p- largely the reason we ended up splitting with, our, with the guy that I started with. He was he developed his IT skills, working very much in IT. Despite that, he felt that the future was not in the IT side of things. He felt that there is a future in consulting with people and just working with business information. I think it comes back down to that original passion that I had for the IT side and seeing the big picture of, of where it could go and what it could do. And so our vision for the future was very different from each other. So we split the business with him be, taking on more consulting type role and me deciding and doing a coming to an arrangement with the UK firm to discontinue with them and no longer use their software to work with them for me to develop and write that software ourselves. Now that was a very significant move and probably a fairly bold move and in hindsight you look back at it and think that it was crazy because I didn't have the expertise to write and develop software. I know what I wanted. That was the key. I could see 
what was needed by these repairers to make a difference to them. I'd had the experience of looking at what had happened overseas and where the industry was going to go. And the only way to do it was to do it myself because the UK product itself wasn't going to suit Australia. It had to be something done here. And so you know, I had to step out on my own to do that from that point. And uh, yeah, so... I engaged a very young IT guy that had very little experience. He was passionate. He had a fantastic talent. He had to develop that talent and you know, I encouraged him. We worked on product and eventually were able to migrate the customers that had been using the UK product onto our Australian made software. And hence from there we've just kept on going and going. But it was a very, it was a big change. You had to really focus on what the need was in the marketplace. And it's not just the current need, it's, it's really ascertaining that future need and then being determined to follow it. Mm. I love that, um, you focused on current need versus future need as well as localizing that need because sometimes we can bring in a, uh, an imported concept into our our local niche and not quite meet the demand because then we're just trying to shove the product down our our, our customers but um this is good good stuff good learnings here um the other piece that I just wanted to touch on is um you mentioned you had to educate your potential clients so that they can actually identify the need just help us through maybe one or two things that were key uh things that you were highlighting to to your potential customers so that they can actually identify the need and then you, you know, you've created that thirst. Now you can say, well, we can actually quench that thirst. Just walk us through some of those key things that you found really were important to your clients at the time. Well, we're, from, we're, you know, we're a small business. We, you know, we're, those days we were two or three people and we're servicing a you know, small, what, what is still in society today, you know, very much a small business. Um, most of the businesses would probably, in those days, our clients would probably turn over one to two million dollars, you know, it's, which is quite a small business by business standards. And most of the owners of those businesses are tradespeople. They're not really business people. They're people that have been a panel beater or a painter, worked on the shop floor, seen the opportunity, either branched out on their own to start their own business or they had grown up in a family situation and taken over. Essentially, probably 80 to 90% of the owners of these businesses are actually tradespeople that haven't had much business experience. Some of them will go and get a little bit, do a few short courses is about as the extent of it. So to have business information and proper management statistics to really make proper decisions on the business is something that was totally lacking. They felt that it was far more important to ensure that the quality of the paint job was right, that the doors are fitting neatly, the gaps on the doors between the panels on the car that are all matching and that you can't detect a a difference in colour anywhere on the car. These are the things they're worried about. To be worried about to making sure that the guys are being fully productive, that they're not wasting time on the job, that a particular job is actually going to make them money or not. No, they're in business because they're passionate about the jobs they do. But to try and turn them around a little bit, I'm not, I'm not trying to get them to do an about face at all. I'm just trying to get them to turn their head a little bit and look at some numbers, basically. But to understand that, you no, know, you really need to be efficient. You can be a lot more efficient 
without sacrificing the quality of work that they're doing, um, yeah, that's it's what which what was always and still is to some extent. And now we we we've, we expand not just on the shop floor. We look at the office activities, the time it takes to keep customers happy, to be in touch with customers. These days, you have to be efficient in that. And I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this has had a car serviced at some stage and. Just having a car serviced is, is, no, is very similar to having a car repaired, but now you receive an SMS to remind you that your car's due in tomorrow or that it's ready. We're using different technology to be efficient in the process. So we need to be very efficient. We need to automate these sort of things to give them more, more time to really run the business, to think about their business, to really help them look at the, look at where they're going and not just Look at the quality of the job they're doing. It's you know get put the head out from the out from behind the tree to see the forest as a title. So just help us understand a little bit more. Give us a scenario of a client that hasn't had your software and your input prior, and now they're fully implemented. What's happening that wasn't happening before, and what sort of results are they now seeing after working with your team? We implement our software, which works in conjunction with the quoting package. Every business these days has a, needs a quoting package to assess the damage done on the vehicle and to value it. But we take that quote, which basically just provides the revenue on a job-by-job basis that, that is expected. We need to re- ensure that that business can turn that job and every job into not only a successful product that helps the customer be satisfied and delighted with the work that's done. And now we used to lose sight of that, but these days it really is a key focus. But we are looking at who's going to do the work, how does this job fit into the schedule of all the jobs going through. We've got different skill sets that are required to repair a vehicle from a, could be a stripper and a fitter that actually starts pulling the parts off, looking at parts, whether they're damaged, ensuring that we've got to replace a part or not replace a part. We've got the panel beater who may need to do have different welding facility, uh, functions. The welding may need to be aluminium, it may need to be steel or different composite steels. There's a whole range of different skills that are required. We then go into the painting process to both prime it all down, Prep it, prep it up, go through either a baking oven or a infrared process to be able to dry it. Then we start putting it all back together again, making sure every part's correct, clean it, polish it up, buff it up, make sure that the whole thing is looking good, and then they'll clean the car, make sure it's fully presentable for the client. But those different skill sets, every one of them, and there's, we normally look at about eight different processes involved, have to be coordinated with the right sort of people with the right sort of skills and if a job going through the business has got a high paint content and the next job has a low paint content, you can't push them through like a production line. You have to be able to mix the jobs so that you can have similar jobs coming through. So you're minimising the downtime of any one particular skill area or you've, alternatively you've got to train people up to be multi-skilled. Multi-skilled can be good, inevitably isn't really the most efficient way to go. So there's a combination of multi-skilling, efficiency of work, getting the right mix of what job needs to follow what job through the shop 
to ensure that the actual downtime and the efficiency of staff is far greater than it would be if it was just let to someone making random decisions to say, okay, let's grab that job, get that done because it's due out tomorrow. They find that they don't get the most effective use of staff and um, as a consequence, no, obviously the potential profitability is not there. But the people also, I look at it very much from a people point of view. Those people are a guy who's skilled out there. If he, he can work very hard and, and get a job done, but then if he sits around for 15 minutes because the next job's not ready to do, it really isn't motivating them in the business sense of what you're trying to do. Most of these tradespeople, they're wonderful people. They're, they're really um, determined, honest people that are trying to get a job done and earn good money. So if we can improve that productivity of the staff within our software, we'll have a mechanism to actually start rewarding those staff for their improvements. That starts motivating them to look for better ways to improve. So we're encouraging them. And while money isn't necessarily the greatest motivator, it is certainly a significant motivator. And you need to work with each individual, giving them the opportunity to improve their finances giving them an opportunity to produce more and make the whole shop a business, um, the body shop. To improve that whole business, we find that we can change the morale in the business quite significantly. And it's that whole morale in the business that lifts it, lifts productivity, lifts output, they hold staff more than they would have otherwise, and they can compete. Where previously, if they don't undertake this process... They're just one of the other shops out there and eventually with the changes that take place in business these days, they start going backwards and their income starts drying up and they can really struggle to survive. Mm. I love to hear um, some of those focus points of just helping the business turn around, especially when it comes to people. And, you know, a key part of most businesses is obviously the strength of the people and, you know, money is not the um, the greatest motivator. I love that. But as Zig Ziglar says, it ranks right up there with air. I think it's a good reward recognition system that people feel I'm doing a good job uh, and this is how I'm being recognized for it. So I appreciate that that sharing of that story. Uh, we've heard how you, you were growing the business at the beginning, really much through that education point and finding business partners and finding you know the right people to partner with at that point. Um, how are you generating your business growth today? Um, you know, are you generating leads? Are you marketing online um, or just word of mouth referral? How is that happening for you today? Some things have changed and some things haven't. Fortunately, unfortunately, uh, you know, the market I'm in is a shrinking market. There's less customers, um, body shops that we sell to and install that product into and help fewer in number than they were. Uh, rough figures. I remember we talked about around the market, total market in Australia and New Zealand, which is where we operate for about 5,000 potential customers. I would say that's probably just over half that today. And of that half, uh, there's an increasing number that are being gobbled up by large groups so that the decision making is now one instead of you know, 10 or one instead of uh, 30. Um, so the number of customers shrunk tremendously. It is a very small niche market and the nature of the owners is changed a little bit. There's more professional business owners there today than there used to be. 
but the majority of them are still tradespeople. So marketing to them, we find our greatest um, avenue of is still word of mouth, essentially. People knowing and seeing a business change, they tell others and we get increased business. That's primarily been the way it's happened for us and really continues to happen that way today. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. I want to shift a little bit and talk about some of the mindset um, that you may have had to you know, work through or transition or coach people on. Um, there's a lot of fear of failure that holds people away from entrepreneurship. Um, so I just wanted you to take a moment maybe to share a key moment um, where you might have experienced that fear or where you actually went through an actual failure that you felt was holding you back and you almost maybe wanted to even quit and go just just go back to a normal job. Uh, yeah, we. I suppose one good example of that is actually if I go back, not in my current business, but in probably the first business that I did after I left, after I left the, my family business, I went into a small a business with just one other person, where we were importing uh, specialist bed linen and towels for hotel chains so that was essentially the business and because we were importing margins were had to be fairly fine to compete with local people but I think then I was out was the first time out by myself my income stream was entirely dependent on what was happening we had family pressures income was a concern and I wasn't really prepared or didn't have the right mindset to take the risks that were really needed to make this is a successful business. So, no, I ended up basically pulling out of it, saying, no, look, I can't take that risk. I was too scared, frankly, to do it. So we pulled out before really making any significant loss, before making any significant profit, before really seeing whether the dream of what we thought would actually come to pass. I look back and wonder, would it have worked? Would it have not worked? We never know. I think... um, Probably things keep on changing, but yeah, I wasn't prepared. There were risks there, and to really proceed, I would have had to. I I did pull back from it. But pulling back from it and getting over that is still something you've got to do. I mean, if I couldn't look at what happened then and say, okay, I was scared, I pulled back from that, doing that, I couldn't have done what I'm now doing because, you know, I I think I realised that with that withdrawal at that time, there was factors going on with exchange rates changing, uh, the risks associated with it. And I looked back at it and I said, I could see that, yes, we might have had a couple of struggling times. We probably would have succeeded in the long run. And certainly what was scaring me at the time, it wasn't something I should have been scared about. I probably should have kept on going. So I look at that and say, well, with hindsight, I could have got through that. And that has inspired me by knowing when things have got tough now from time to time. We've gone through a couple of periods where developing our own IT product, it needs to be reinvented or you've, you've got changes in um, IT hardware, things have, you've got to rewrite your program again. And they can be quite costly. They basically take you from being a profitable business to a non-profitable business for a period of time until you can reinvent it, redevelop it. You've got to buy that determination that, oh, no, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to go through a process. And again, it comes back down to the fact that 
it's not necessarily money that's driving your decision making. The money you're making a profit is a fundamental part of being in a business, but it's not necessarily the number one motivator. And if you take a short term view, you'll never get there because, you know, especially in software, you can do something, make a short-term profit, but then, you know, by the time you redevelop or get another idea for growth and go off in a different direction, these things are the additional investments that are absolutely necessary for the long-term survival. Um, if you don't do that, you can have a short-term success, but then you'll fade and fail, is basically what happens unless you continue to keep on doing things, and you can't. Software, I look at it, I used to say seven-year cycle, I'd say it's a five-year cycle now, sometimes probably even gets shorter. But you're not, I'm not expecting to make the same profit every one of those five years. I'll have one or two, probably two years of um, very average sort of return, then I'll hopefully three years of good return. But I've got to look at it over that sort of period now and, and be quite determined that, yes, we're going to enter another period of um, of lower returns, but that's part of the investment for the future. Mm. I like that uh, analogy of, you know, averaging out some of that um, profitability and knowing those numbers so that you don't get pushed back when it does happen, but expecting it and having that confidence that I can hear in your voice to say, it's okay, we can work through that. But in the beginning, right, I'm now talking to somebody who is just leaving corporate or just starting out. How did you survive those crucial moments of how, when you, you don't know what's going to happen, whether you're going to get another client? What's the mindset required for that phase? Well, I'd like to say that I relied on my uh, prophecy and godly vision that I had. But unfortunately, I was uh, not in that place at the time. Today, I look at it and say, yes, well, I think God was in my life, although I didn't know it at the time, because that's really a big part of the whole process of knowing what your destiny is and, and understanding where you're going and where God wants you to go. And by knowing that, you really have... Underlying that is the confidence it provides. Otherwise... In my case, I think I didn't have that, unfortunately, not in a conscious sense at the time. I didn't come to really know God intimately till much later. But you really have to have that determination to look forward to what your vision is and see that it can come to pass. And in doing that, you set a couple of milestones of what needs to happen, how it's going to happen. Uh, I've always taken a view that I look at what can happen, look at the positive side of it and focus on that. But then I will also consider what is the absolute worst possible outcome. Now, in a worst possible outcome, if I know what that is and I can survive, I can live, I can move on from that, then I mean, I'm certainly not going to be aiming at it, but I at least know what that is. And that's something I've always considered. Not in the, I wouldn't say in the back of my mind, because I'd say it's less than that. It's something which I will consider for a very short period of time. But it is something I've always known. If you don't consider these things, you're just drifting aimlessly. You, you need to be able to focus on what you're trying to achieve in the front, up the front, both the potential and the realistic focus of, of what you're aiming at. And you've got to focus on that and concentrate on that. But if you don't consider what 
the other options are. I think it's very easy also. Uh, I know that you've asked the question in terms of the early days and when you start up, but um, it's something that it needs to be revisited on a regular basis because if you if you don't revisit it, you're tending to wander aimlessly. If you don't quite meet your targets or don't quite things don't quite work out, uh, as you expect, which is probably going to be the case, you know, we find that most times we're aiming at something, um, you can quite either either fall short of it or exceed it. You know, to actually hit the mark is probably a rarity. Now, we ne- practically never hit the mark on what specifically what you're aiming at, not, not in terms of, a say, a financial target or a, you know, certain outcomes you can certainly hit, but in terms of an overall financial income, you just never hit it exactly, I mean... So therefore, you need to reassess that and constantly look at where you're going. And I find that that's really so important. No, so important. I appreciate that. So you've you've mentioned a few a few big things here that um, just want to take away here. So knowing your destiny and understanding your purpose. Um, and you've talked about, you know, your, your personal belief, uh, and encounter with, with God and having that higher intimacy with, um, the direction of your life. I know there's some people who may not be at that point or who may not even believe that that is an important point, but in your personal experience, you can see that that was a, a guiding factor for you even before you understood that, that whole, um, sort of experience. And also the focus on that particular aspect, what are you aiming for, and understanding the back end of it, what will be the worst outcome, and let's not get too frightened about it if we know we're walking within our purpose. I think those are really important key takeaways for me. Uh, Rex, I wanted to ask you, what was your biggest breakthrough moment in your business um, when you kind of felt things have taken off? What was that moment, and help us just relive that period? I think there's probably... Over 18 years in this particular business, I think there's been two or three particular milestones that have changed, no, where things have changed. And I think separating from my original partner was a big thing. Um, but it was a big thing where you're, where you're reaching out. It's almost like starting again. And that was certainly very significant. Then I think working with people, you, I mean, the whole strategy of the business, while we're developing software, Software, it's software there to really help people unless you're focusing on what your outcome is. Again, while software development business, I can call it an IT business, we work in one industry, which is the car repair industry. So to some extent, I consider myself more part of the car repair industry than I do of IT industry. But on the same token, when I'm working with the car repair industry, I'm totally working with the people. I'm working with the owners, I'm working with the staff. So working with those people, seeing the changes in people, and I'm probably getting off the subject, off, the, off your question a bit, I guess. <laughs> um, the reason I'm saying that is because what really, what really, um, sort of the big changing things is when we're working with a business, when their light suddenly comes on and says, wow, this makes a difference to us. And then I can remember one client in particular when we worked with them for probably six months and you're you're putting software in, you're working with them to understand how it works, what impact it's having on the business. It's very easy. They're overrun with 
issues, problems in running their own small business and that sort of thing. But sometimes they sit back and they say, wow, look at the difference it's made. And when they do that and they come back to tell you, it really invigorates you to go further. But it's how God then works in that because you're being inspired by their message, by them telling you how big a difference it makes that they then go and tell their friends. And when that's happened, there's been two or three customers that we've had that have been so excited, they've gone out, they've publicised it, they've put it on their website, they've told their mates that this is the difference it's made, and we find that our business just picks up. And so that has probably been one of the biggest encouragements to me to look for that result, to encourage them to look at their business, to see the difference retrospectively, to actually see the difference that we've been able to make in their business because it's out of that that we get growth, that we can get growth of business, which is ultimately what the business is about. But we actually get the satisfaction of running the business in the first place from that moment. So when you talk about changes that have happened, it's it's those moments that really drive you, and it's not every client by a long shot, but they're the, they're, the, they're the ones that you're really trying to work with to get that feedback, to get that, you could say, they, they give you the warm and fuzzy feeling, but you get that feeling because that's really what it's all about for yourself, for them, and for potential customers. Now, that's great. Um, what I'm hearing is a lot of... Um helping the, the business change and they um, actually experience that change and then they sort of become raving fans of the business that motivates you, motivates them, and it brings in uh, more new business, which is fantastic. So it's a, it's a good, good spiral effect, yeah. Now, I know we're, we're coming to the, to the close. I just have a couple more questions for you, Rex. Um, just briefly give us a 30-second look into a day in your life, where especially sort of when you started WebTrim versus a day in your life today. When we first started WebTrim, it was such a battle, fighting, if you like, to to get the product that we wanted developed from our overseas people to meet the need that we perceived in the marketplace. Um, As I said, the reason I started is because I saw, I perceived the need there, but trying to actually get get that match was a battle. And all I can remember is getting on the phone late at night trying to talk to the UK and fighting to get some development time because they're trying to do their own development as well. And um, it was a constant battle fight to get that done. And then we had to go, even then once we did that, we then had to sort of convince the customer that this was the right thing. And it, it was like it was constant battle fighting to deliver what we want. We'd stay... The difference is that we've developed that product, we've brought it all in-house, we've got control, and it's my responsibility now. If it's wrong, it's wrong. I'm not relying on someone else. And I go forward presenting what I'm doing with confidence, knowing that it is right, because we've got the track record behind us. So the actual feeling, I can rest on that achievement and confidence, knowing that we're, no, I'm not... There's no guesswork. It's no not a vision in the sky. It's something that we can now go forward with. And there is that shift from being believing and and knowing in, in believing in something and doing it with probably some doubts. But now I can rest on the fact that I know what I'm doing is right and that we can 100% make a significant difference to our customers and lift their business. And that's certainly a, a big change from those days where there was probably always some, some doubt. 
but you cling on to your vision and you, you go for it. But there is always that doubt in there and a little bit of uncertainty about it. Right. I love that. Um, so a typical day in your life today, I mean, are you, are you an early riser? Just walk us through some of the, the key things that are happening in your typical day. I see being in business effectively. I'm the sole owner and operator of the business. Um, I employ oh, about five people now. And as such, I, I tend to see it more as much of a lifestyle as a, as a business. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll rise early if there's something to be done. And I'll rise late if I've been up late the night before because we tend to service customers from Perth right through to New Zealand. So the length of the day could be long. Generally, we don't need to be online too much in those hours, but it can take you to those hours. So it's being very flexible. Um, we can be on call to help someone. Um, on the other hand, I'm, I'll, I'll work on projects of what I believe the future could be, where things are going to go, and that's that's certainly a, a passion because that's really what I love to do. I love to create something that's going to save people and time and be beneficial for them. So I can just spend hours um, looking at solutions for issues and problems, and that to me is still the thing I like to do. But you've got to run the business as well. So I spend more of my time now trying to look after making sure my own staff are all motivated and happy and excited about what they're doing. Um, and that's a very important part of it. As a small business with only five staff, it doesn't take too much time to do that. I've got plenty of time to uh, to either be following things up with customers or developing stuff. Um, I'd love to um, move on and, and get that ticking away and have someone else who can be involved in the daily running of the business. So I'm keen to be looking for the right people to work with within the business and also to be looking forward to being able to work with the repairers on an ongoing basis, but probably on a bit more, having more time to actually do it with them face to face. You're under constant pressure financially to cut down that time because it's a costly exercise. But if you're not worried about the money and you're doing it because you enjoy it, you still get out and do it. Mm, I love that. Love that. Um, Rex, do you invest in mentors? And if yes, who are those currently for you? When you ask that question, what comes to mind is that. I don't see running a small business as divorced from other areas of life. I've been fortunate that I run a small business which takes me all over Australia and New Zealand. And when I do that, I'm frequently doing it not just for my business purposes, but I'll often do it to visit other churches or ministries. And so in doing all that, we find that we have mentors that cross the borders from business into spiritual mentors, ministries of different types. And I have a number of people which I consider friends that are in kingdom businesses which I can discuss things with, but they're probably not quite as close as I'd normally consider a mentor. However, you know, we look at um, a number of people that come that come past me that may not be necessarily in business that we still mentor ourselves on a consistent basis. Certainly very much in the broader context, I do look at mentors and have mentors and I mentor others. But in terms of a strict business mentor and confiding in how we operate the business, it's more that I have people I can talk to, but I don't have anyone that I would consider to be a specific mentor in that regard. No, that's great. I appreciate that. 
Um, best two books that are must-reads for entrepreneurs in your mind? I haven't really thought of it all. I suppose in some respects I look at that and say business and the rest of your life, they're not necessarily separate. And I think it's really important these days to look at more of a holistic approach. Um, running your own business is very much a, a, a lifestyle and you have to be totally committed I don't know too many people in small businesses that don't put in huge hours one way or another and it crosses the borders into family life. Um, you know, if you haven't got a family that supports you in a business, then you're going to be battling uphill as well. So life, full stop, is important. Therefore, you know, you're only going to read the Bible to see a whole lot of business, uh, good business advice. So and a lot of books come from that. So but in terms of specific books, no, I'm not sure if I've got any particular ones that I'd recommend at the moment. Mm, fair enough. You've touched on having a focus on life and family, and uh, it's a good segue for me because um, you and your wife have been very generous and have invited us on occasion to one of your big lifestyle um, outlets. I'm not sure whether you still have that um, out on a big lake. Um, just tell our listeners a little bit about what you've been doing in the past day just briefly and whether that is still something that you're passionate about today. We do a number of different things that I suppose that life takes us to do all sorts of things, but at the same time, you also got to have your outlet to relax. If you can't unwind, then you can't operate effectively at times, so you need an outlet. And one of the things that my parents taught me, I was really fortunate to be able to do with my family and both uh, my wife as well, was being able to get away for weekends with it. When I was growing up, my earliest age I can remember, we, you know, we'd get packed off in the car and go away for a weekend. And uh, now we've been doing that ourselves with our family when we get the opportunity to, to take off. So these days we go up, we do get away on a, on a boat fairly regularly. So it, yeah, it's a great way to remove the cares of the week or part of the week and um, be able to relax in that and to be able to actually take others away and let them have an experience that can not only revive and relax but also create friendship with people. You know, it's so important in our lives to be helping people to come to know themselves and to understand each other. It's something we, we really enjoy and, and we'll, we continue to do a lot of. Yeah, absolutely. And for our business journalist community, um, Rex is being quite modest here. They have a fantastic boat. Beautiful. We've been out there once or twice up in a beautiful lake here in Melbourne or out on, in the Victorian state here. So um, it's a very enjoyable thing and a, a great investment for, for an outlet um, when you have the privilege to do so. Rex, I uh, want to just double check with you. What is the best way for people to connect with you? either through my LinkedIn account, which is rex underscore Hartley, or direct via email, which is rex at webtrim.com.au. Fantastic. So we'll have those details in the show notes, and um, you can feel free to reach out to Rex with any follow-up questions that you might have about the business and some of the coaching advice that he's had for us here today. Rex, before I ask my last question, I just wanted to acknowledge you for everything that you're doing in the marketplace, for all the investments you've put into, into my life personally and my, my family's life, uh, for pursuing your dreams, um, which in turn is helping others to do the same, and more specifically for just pouring out you know, those words of wisdom and inspiration to the business journalist community here on the show today. I appreciate that. And now for the last question, uh, Rex, when all is said and done, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for? And tell us why. Again, I'm hesitating here because 
it's close to my heart. And that's just to be remembered for the person I am and the change that I can make to help people really get more from their own life. Now, that applies, as I said, to the whole of life. It's not just business, but it's in other things. But it's an attitude towards people. And um, if I want to be remembered, I want to be remembered as someone that had a very positive impact on someone's life, that they know that they can trust, that I can bring advice, I can bring product, I can bring a result to them that is very beneficial to them. That's Ultimately, what it is, it, it's my, my reward is to see see those people grow and be successful. Appreciate that um, sharing that from your heart. Um, really, really grateful, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for hanging out with me and Rex Hartley today. Hope you had as much fun as I did, and more importantly, my hope is that you can get your hopes up that you are good enough to chase your dreams. Remember to head on over to businessgenerals.com. For all the show notes, just type in Rex, R-E-X, in the search bar and his show notes will pop up and everything that we talked about today. So that's businessgenerals.com. And to reach out to Rex, you can go to LinkedIn, Rex underscore Hartley, and uh, you can reach out to him there. Rex, thank you so much for being on the Business Generals podcast today and congratulations on your 60th birthday. Um, Appreciate you for sharing your story with us and for that we are grateful. You are a true business general. Thank you very much, Davis. And thank you to all your listeners. Hey, what's up, Business Generals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Generals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessgenerals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.